Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And broadcasting live from day number two of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention, the 80th annual convention in Kansas City, Missouri. This is AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to be with you, Jesse Allen, here in KC, as we have a great show lined up for you, talking agriculture here and having conversations today with folks throughout the ag industry. Coming up in segment two, Growth Energy CEO Emily Score is going to join us. We're going to talk ethanol issues. In segment three, markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. He will be with us for a conversation. And then in segment four, we're going to talk cattle a little bit more with Lance Zimmerman from Bank. He will be joining us as well. And kicking things off here, we're going to waste no time uh, joining us. CHS Washington Representative Will Stafford is joining me here. And Will, it's good to see you, my friend. How are you? Good to see you, too. I'm doing great. It's great to be out here again. Yeah, we're happy to have you here on the program today. And uh, let's talk Farm Bill. Let's talk issues uh, in D.C. We got the government funded, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. uh, until January 19th, I believe. So giving us a little bit of a certainty through the holiday season, at least. But then right back... uh, Right back on a deadline here once we get past the new year, Will. Yeah, these uh, short-term government extensions seem to be the the name of the game recently, but folks will be able to enjoy their Christmas and, and New Year's uh, before coming back uh, in January to, to have to start some of these discussions again. Um, but important that was included in that uh, continuing resolution was also a an extension of the Farm Bill uh, into next year, a little further um, through mm-hmm. September of next year. Talk about uh, first the the government funding side of this, and then we'll get into the farm bill a little bit more. But it sounds like this is like a, a two tiered type approach. Is that how I kind of understood how this has gone through uh, from House Speaker Johnson and then the, the Senate? A little more background on this, or at least what you know in terms of this government, uh, this continuing resolution. Uh, as far as they kind of do these short terms, but then are also at the same time trying to get done with uh, appropriations bills at, yeah. at the same time. Yeah, they're they're really trying, um, and there's a lot of appetite, I think, on on both sides, Demo- Democrats and Republicans, um, to get back to what's called uh, regular order. Um, and and I, I hope I won't get too DC wonky here, but um, essentially passing um, individual appropriations bills that go through mm-hmm. individual appropriations committees and subcommittees, and you debate specific issues. For example, there's one specifically on food and agriculture that funds USDA and funds FDA, um, where you can really dig down into some of those things rather than having these constant, um, you know, wait to the last minute, pass a continuing resolution um, that's usually just debated at the highest levels of Congress um, among the speaker and and um, and leaders in the Senate. In terms of the Farm Bill extension, extending the 2018 Farm Bill for one year to give us a little more time here and a little bit of certainty at least to try and get a new five-year farm bill done and i know the leaders on the house and senate side ag committees have all said that they are still committed to getting a five-year farm bill done it seems like you know as soon as possible what what's some of the latest you're hearing in in terms of getting a new farm bill done because obviously we're going into an election year next year yeah and um nothing is ever easy in an election year and also no farm bill is easy uh i was 
privileged enough to to be able to work on the Senate side um, during the last Farm Bill in 2018. And even though we did not need an extension, um, that was never easy to get across the finish line. Um, and we've obviously seen that be the case in this farm bill. Um, I think the extension and, and making it a little bit of a longer term extension uh, was important to give farmers and, and agribusinesses um, some certainty. But obviously, the goal is still to get that five-year bill across the line. Um, as far as timing goes, it sounds like Chairman Thompson wants to move on the House side uh, early in the new year. And, and we hope that hope that, that he's able to do that. Um, but, you know, I will just say, I, I still think that we do have great leadership on both the House and the Senate committee. Um, we've got folks like Chairwoman Stabenow um, that have done this before, like Ranking Member Bozeman that's, that have been there. Um, and, and I do still think that the appetite is there and that we will um, eventually get that five-year bill across the line. And I was going to say, I know Chairwoman Stabenow this week had said, uh, made the comment that she feels like there's a, a somewhat of a lack of urgency among farm groups and, and farm country to get a new five-year farm bill done. I, but it sounds like, to your point, you don't believe that's the case. It, or what do you think there? Yeah, I mean, when we talk to farmers um, and when I'm having meetings in D.C., I, like I said, I still think there's the appetite to get it done, but you okay. also want to get it done right. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to pass a bill just for the sake of passing a bill. Um, and when I talk to, to farmers, it, it it has to work for them. It's it's a farm bill, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't know if I would if I would uh, classify it as a lack of urgency, but just um, a desire to make sure that that when we do get this bill done, and again, I think we will, um, that it's something that can work for those it's intended to work for. What are some of the conversations you're having uh, from the CHS cooperative perspective on on Capitol Hill in terms of? what you want to see in the farm bill and, and representing a lot of your cooperative members. What are, what are some of those conversations? Are they the same that we're kind of hearing from folks with the corn growers and soybean, et cetera, et yeah. cetera? Um, you know, they're probably similar uh, as a cooperative and as a business. Um, you know, we take we take direction from our owners. Um, and when it comes to working with some of those groups like corn growers or soybean growers or wheat growers, um, we're really trying to support a lot of their work as well on behalf of our owners. So, you know, when I talk to our owners, the number one issue I hear about, similar to a farm group um, like the corn growers, is uh, is protecting crop insurance and making sure that there are no cuts to that, uh, making sure that the farm safety net programs, the commodity programs are operating in a way that 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 um, works for farmers. Um, but then in addition, on more of the business side, uh, you know, especially as such a diverse business, we're watching the energy title with with biofuels measures. Um, we're really hopeful for an expansion of some of the trade promotion programs, uh, watching conservation programs very closely mm -hmm. uh, to see if there are ways that that cooperatives specifically can better partner with USDA to get some of those programs um, efficiently, uh, efficiently done and, and, and used by growers out there. So we kind of play both sides. Um, there are some things that are a little more CHS specific. And then there are also things that we work with coalitions and just try to lend our voice. Will, we got about a minute. Any Anything final you would share or reiterate for folks as they're watching this farm bill process play out right now in DC? You know, I would, I would just tell folks that um, if you know, as as we do have this extra time to get a bill across the line, um, that's more time that you can talk to your members of Congress. Um, you can talk to the grower groups. You can talk to your uh, your your cooperatives. So um, I always say that you know, I I try to be a voice for all of our owners and all of our mm -hmm. cooperative owners, um, and we want to hear from you. Um, and if there are things that you want to see in the next farm bill, um, please consider CHS your voice.
Fantastic. Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, thanks for joining us here during the NAFB convention in Kansas City, and uh, we appreciate you being on AOL. Look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Will Stafford there with CHS joining us here on AOA today. The program today brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesels and Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. You can find your nearest Cenex location very easily right around the corner uh, just by going to Cenex.com. Again, that's Cenex.com. All right. Uh, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation about ethanol, sustainable aviation fuel, and much more. Emily Score with Growth Energy. She joins us right after the break as we're back with more here on AOA, Agriculture of America, on the way right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Joining us today, Lars Deerud, CEO of Earth Optics. Lars, can you tell us a little bit more about Earth Optics? We're a soil mapping company with an emphasis on mapping. So we create a range of data products all the way from soil health, soil fertility to compaction. And one of our more popular products is detailed carbon mapping. Lars, how does Earth Optics data underpin the carbon credits that markets and stakeholders trust? We're doing a decent amount of the carbon quantification for carbon programs in North America. And so the data is used for a couple of different types of programs. You have what's called an offset program where somebody like Microsoft, somebody outside the food and egg industry is trying to offset their emissions. We're the ones that come in and we do the baseline. And then in following years, we remeasure. And then approximately that difference between the baseline and the remeasure is any accumulated carbon that's found is credited. On the other side, we work directly with food and egg companies, but also with farmers making those same type of measurements, but using what's called an inset. That's somebody like General mills trying to reduce their overall carbon footprint within their whole supply shed. Learn more online at earthoptics.com. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best. The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, you cannot learn. Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades, and simply just their well-being. 
Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at helpnokidhungry.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, like Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. We are back here at the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri, talking now with Growth Energy CEO Emily Score is with me. Emily, it's great to see you. How are you? Great to see you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, uh, exciting things going on with Growth Energy. You guys have rolled out a uh, awesome, brand new, big rebrand of growth energy and i just want to start there uh, this is really cool exciting stuff isn't it it is cool and exciting and thank you i think it's awesome too and in the, and the timing is right so our name is the same but we have a, a new look and feel and the identity really puts the industry's innovative spirit front and center so we want to look and feel and kind of words that that really highlight what our members are doing to to open new markets and to drive continued innovation in expanding America's bioeconomy. And if you look at what's going on in the industry right now, we've got so much diversity in terms of the co-products and the increasing value of the co-products. Um, plants are really optimizing their individual logistical advantages and what they're doing. So it's exciting that we can showcase we are pioneering new plant-based solutions for a low-carbon economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's you and I were talking about this during the commercial break. It's just the conversation has changed so much in the last three, five, ten years surrounding the ethanol biofuels industry that, it, like you said, it just feels right to kind of have a little bit of a rebrand, so to speak. Yeah, and it's and it's really important that we educate policymakers and stakeholders on just how many advancements we've made Absolutely. in the last 10 years. We are not your father's or your grandfather's ethanol industry. We're different. What we are doing to optimize our efficiency, to reduce our carbon intensity, to diversify the co-products and how they can be used. So it's a great opportunity and platform for us to continue that education. Let's talk about a few things and educate some folks here today, hopefully. Uh, the Adopt-Greet legislation, we've been hearing a lot about this in Congress. Get us up to speed on some of the latest there and what we're looking at right now. Yeah, so the, the conversation, it, it's in Washington, it's in state capitals, it's in capitals around the world. As many economies are driving toward low carbon and they want to decarbonize transportation, decarbonize liquid fuels, the big question is how are you measuring that reduction? That is critically important for our industry because we have been doing so much work on the innovative side and our grower partners have too. You've got to capture that innovation. So if I do you know, renewable energy to, to power the plant, all right, how many reduction points do I get credit for mm -hmm. in the laws and the regulations? The GREET model, it's Department of Energy's Argonne National Labs. It is the gold standard of models. It's updated every year. It has the most inputs in terms of recognizing what farmers are doing, green fertilizer, um, cover crops, no-till, that type of thing. And so we want to make sure that that model is used in every regulatory scheme. And that's really what the legislation does. It makes sure that the federal government is using that model to measure our progress. Mm -hmm. And it's... It I've had conversations about the, the GREET model before and just some of the the outdated terminology and, and methods of measuring that we are currently using. 
it, it's time to kind of update that standard, essentially. Absolutely. And you need the left hand and the right hand of government talking to one another and connecting with one another. So you've got Department of Energy has this amazing model, but EPA hasn't updated its modeling of ethanol in over a decade. What have we achieved in over a decade? So we've got to make sure that EPA is reflecting great, that California, that Oregon, that Washington, that states that are that are deploying low carbon fuel standards, that again, they're recognizing. And what's really important, it's that on-farm activity that mm -hmm. we've got to see and pull through because then we can command a higher price and a better premium for the product. And you can pass that on to your grower partners. Let's talk, let's discuss E15. Um, I know a lot of uh, news surrounding E15 in the last couple of years. And obviously, we're looking for a year-round solution here for E15. I know we've had the summertime waiver issues going on with certain states in the Midwest. Uh, where do things stand with E15 as we near the end of the calendar year? So we got a couple balls, you know, a couple, couple live balls. So seven Midwest governors have said to EPA, we want to opt out of your summer read vapor pressure waiver program so we can sell E15 year round. EPA has proposed the rule to accept that. They have to finalize it. They really need to finalize it by the end of the year. So the fuel supply chain can prepare for that. Mm -hmm. When they do that, seven states throughout the Midwest would be able to sell E15 in perpetuity year round, slam dunk. We still need a federal solution for the remaining states. We've got three bills that have been introduced in Congress. We have a growing coalition of support for this. Even some many on the oil refining side are recognizing, you know what, this is a good fuel. It makes liquid fuels lower in carbon intensity. And that's better if you're having a conversation about electrification versus the internal combustion engine. So we're pushing really hard to get this legislative fix. Um, it's, we're, we're running into politics, which of course, there's no short supply of that in Washington, D.C. But that's our ultimate path towards getting this issue done once and for all. Uh, another topic as well tied in, uh, you know, we're trying to expand E15. We're, we're trying to find other uses for ethanol and biodiesel, biofuels, you name it. So many different things. Uh, sustainable aviation fuel has been a hot topic. And it, it almost feels like this is another opportunity for kind of like the corn ethanol boom we had, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. This is kind of that second wave if we can get all the dominoes to kind of line up here. What What's some of the latest with SAF right now? Well, you know, I agree with you. It's it's a blue sky opportunity for us as yeah. an industry. It's a new market. And the exciting thing about that market is you have a customer that wants the product. Yeah. U.S. airlines have already made commitments that they're going to decarbonize, that they have made commitments to sustainable aviation fuel. This administration has a goal that we produce 3 billion gallons of SAF by 2030. Last year, we produced 16 million gallons. So we need some real exponential growth. Ethanol biofuels are a great feedstock that can be used. And so, and we we've, we have an abundant supply. So that's the good news. But you're right, the dominoes have to fall. And we've got to make sure that the policies help incentivize. These are some big capital investments. Mm -hmm. We've got some good tax credits on the books. IRS has to implement the tax code in a way. And back to that Greek model conversation use the right model to give us credit for what we're doing on the CI, on sure. our carbon intensity, and then we're eligible as a feedstock and we'll get that tax benefit that that offsets the costs. Um, so importantly, we've got to get the modeling right and um, we've got to make sure that we can produce this at commercial scale. We talk about a lot of these exciting things and I, I still think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but maybe you know farmers know the benefits of the ethanol and biofuel industry. Maybe some consumers don't quite understand 
they still they hear about all this talk and there's still some of those misconceptions oh well if all this corn is going to ethanol for my car the price of food's going up or something like that that how how do we as as farmers and ranchers and or how do consumers understand some of just the benefits here like how do you as growth energy deal with some of the misconceptions that are out there we continue to have misconceptions so we're making progress but there there are those who perpetuate the myths of course you know you have far left progressive um special interest groups they don't want production agriculture to be part of a green economy so we always have to face that we've got a campaign actually it's called get biofuel and it's it's targeting consumers and it's talking about if you want to do something that's good for the planet but easy and affordable you can fill up with unleaded 88 that's a 15% ethanol blend we've had really good progress in, in key markets where we're really targeting moms and millennials and people who are actually going to change their habit at the pump if they know that I can do this. It's an easy move. It's good for my car and it's good for the pocketbook at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also just some sometimes too where someone might go just blindly to the pump and not pay attention and just, oh, grab the handle and fill up my car or truck or van. And so having a little more awareness of things like E15 or uh, et cetera, et cetera, E88, uh, E85. I mean, that's another conversation too. There's having a little more awareness, I think, is the big key, right? Yeah. And, and we're also trying to tap into this kind of this cultural zeitgeist. All right. There's so much conversation about climate. Wherever you are on the spectrum of how important that is to you, mm -hmm. You know, there's there's such a focus on electrification. It's not a panacea. Do you know how many people are not going to go buy a new car? That for them, that makes no sense. But it doesn't mean they still can't participate in doing something that feels good. But let's make it easy. Let's make it affordable. And that's the beauty of, of biofuels like ethanol. Yeah, definitely. Emily, we're about out of time. And I know a great conversation. Some of the things you mentioned with the carbon intensity and more. And I know um, there's a lot of talk on carbon pipelines in the Midwest right now. We could we could have an hour-long conversation on that and, and, and whatnot. Um, but obviously, there's just there's a lot of things, a lot of conversations that folks need to still have surrounding the ethanol industry, right? A lot of conversation. And here's what is an, an important reminder for your listeners. We have really good bipartisan support. So I know you look at what's happening in Washington, D.C., and it's very polarized and, and it's very political. But we, in the ethanol space, we've always enjoyed bipartisan support. We do a really good job of making sure Republicans and Democrats understand the value for the rural economy, what we do for corn. Um, and so you know, we continue to educate them on how we can remain competitive mm -hmm. in the future low carbon economy and really drive those results back for rural America. Yeah. And that's what it is all about. And just having that conversation. Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here in Kansas City. We appreciate it. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. But until then, happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you. Thanks so much. And today's program brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman from StoneX coming up right after this. Joining us now, Lars Deerud, CEO of Earth Optics. Lars, a new exciting announcement, a collaboration between Earth Optics and Trace Genomics. Can you share more details about the new partnership? We're super excited to be working at a closer level with Trace. We probably pull more soil from the United States than anyone else uh, in the country. And so given that, it's nice to really form tighter partnerships with certain laboratories so we can really understand and end process from field to data point. Well, how does this partnership between Earth Optics and Trace Genomics advance carbon? 
time. Carbon's a hard thing to measure, especially, I should say, changes in carbon. And really, people are looking to maybe increase the carbon content of soil around about a ton per year per acre. That ton per year per acre represents just a fractional change in the soil. So maybe going from 3% to about 3.1%. And so you're trying to make that measurement across thousands of acres of fields. The more accurate you can do that laboratory test, the more accurate we can do our job. So better data from the lab, much better map for us and more accurate. Thanks, Lars. Learn more online at earthoptics.com. You're listening to AOA. Here is a check of what is happening in the market trade. Jesse Allen here as we are broadcasting live from the 80th Annual National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. Mostly lower in the uh, grain and oilseed trade here today as we see some economic uh, headwinds out there kind of plaguing the market. The government is funded through January 19th, but Wall Street's looking at a bigger than expected rise in weekly jobless claims here this morning, uh, raising some more concerns about the health of the U.S. economy, and that's providing a bit of a headwind here for the uh, overall grain and oilseed markets and a little bit in the livestock trade, too. We look at weekly export sales, uh, corn, 1.8 million metric tons, up 78% for the previous week. Soybean sales, 3.918 million metric tons, a marketing year high, up noticeably for the previous week. We did expect that with some of those big sales from China and unknown destinations that we've seen here in the last week or so. Uh, So getting a, a pretty big number there, but not enough to help push futures higher. In fact, soybeans are kind of the downside leader here, maybe taking a little profit off the recent rally. This corn market largely not moving uh, really about a penny or two either side of unchanged with beans down 10 to 11 with the wheat market also under some pressure. Three to about seven lower Chicago wheats under the most pressure. We look over at cattle and hogs. Got that cattle on feed report coming up Friday and that's uh, going to lead to some position squaring. We need some more cash cattle activity to happen. We did get a little bit of business in the north yesterday, kind of 282 to 285, but we're going to need to see more here this week. Hog trade under a little moderate pressure as well here as we look at the trade on Thursday. Crude oil down a little over 2%. The Dow Jones quiet down 47 points. That's a check of the market trade here. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now. Cancer Research is saving lives. Cancer Research, funded by the V Foundation, is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love, 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We are continuing our coverage here from the 80th Annual 
National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. And joining us now, I know we're waiting on Arlen Suderman to talk markets. I know he's uh, caught up in another conversation at the moment, so we're going to get him over here. But uh, joining us, sliding into the chair real quick to give us an update on AM radio and more, Tom Brand with the uh, NAFB. Tom, it's great to see you. Good to be on board with you, Jesse. Thanks for the invitation. And and I've I've got a side eye out here looking for Arlen to come in. For your <laughs> listeners, they, just to paint the whole picture, we've got 44 yes. broadcast booths set up here yeah. at convention. And most of them have some sort of a broadcast going on. And it becomes a musical chair. So Arlen's probably within arm reach. Um, so I'm ready to step out whenever he steps in. No, fantastic, fantastic. No, well, give us an update on AM radio. I know we had a panel, we had a discussion on that here this week during the convention, and we talked about it before on this show. We know that some automakers want to take AM radio out of the dashboard. Where did things stand? I know there's been some legislation in the works going through Congress. Where are things at right now with AM radio? You bet. So two bills um, in the Senate. It's uh, The best way to refer to this is by the name of the bill, because that's what lawmakers relate to. It's the AM radio and every vehicle act or what's being termed as AM forever um, is, is the acronym they're going with. Technically, it's it's uh, it's Senate 1669 and in the House. It's 3413. The good news is we have 181 um, co-sponsor sponsors that are on the bill in the House, and we are up to uh, knocking on the door 40 in the Senate. We'd like to get that number to 60 in the Senate. We'd like to get that number to, you know, the, the 235, 236 mark in the House. We're getting a lot of good verbal support on top of the co-sponsors that are there, but we're also getting down to the to the short rows where we need to, um, we need to be ready to go if a vote comes up. And we've uh, we've passed through committee in the Senate. I'm working on things in the House, and so it it could get scheduled for a vote. Um, how do listeners um, pull into this? Um, if you want to see AM radio still available on the dash of your vehicle, this is and, and I'm not a mandate guy. This is a way to ensure that that the that AM is still is still an option that you can listen to in your vehicle. And so um, if you I'm 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 yeah. petitioning your listeners. If you have a relationship with your congressman with your senator. Um, with with staff of, of any of those that are in the House or the Senate, pick up the phone, ask them where they stand. If they are uh, if they're not um, if they're not uh, committed to this piece of legislation, ask them why and ask them if they would be, and and explain the importance of radio. It's not just farm radio; it's a community connection. It's the emergency alert system. Yes. Yes. So um, more, more it, it, this is more than self-serving farm broadcasting as an industry. Oh, 100%. And and I will say, I, I had some interesting conversations about this topic last night at dinner uh, with some folks. And uh, folks that, that did understand the importance of AM radio and the dash. But then also, you know, someone brought up the topic that i think we've heard a lot surrounding am radio is that oh well you can just stream your favorite station well if you're in the middle of south dakota yeah. or north dakota or wyoming or nebraska or middle of iowa or wherever you're at illinois and you don't have that broadband cell service how are you going to stream your favorite station exactly and dependable to be able mm -hmm. to stream it um, and, and there's a difference between I'll, I'll use the emergency alert system when that tone comes across on am radio it gets your attention streaming sometimes ignores what's going on on the yes. interrupt emergency programming it's just the way that the that the audio goes into that stream mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you could have a um, a national threat and um, you could have a, a, a weather emergency and you might not hear about it at least on the on the emergency alert system through that stream and then Rural America as a whole still has a connectivity issue. Um, and 
and you, I'm not looking to throw daggers or anything like that, but uh, you're right. You can get into a lot of the areas of the countryside where there's there's no data, yet alone cell phone service um, that, that's, that's mm -hmm. there. So, again, um, AM radio is what keeps people connected. And with the emergency alert system, it is the backbone of that system. As we heard FEMA's um, staffer talk about yesterday, just the importance of, of getting information out in, in, a, in a national emergency or in a regional um, situation taking place too. Yeah, we're talking with Tom Brand from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting about the AM radio fight and keeping AM radio in the dash. And you know, on top of just the the safety with the emergency alert system and more, I, we think about AM radio, FM radio too, for that matter. Uh, just the importance of the information that is delivered there. I know a lot of folks. You know, podcasting has become huge, obviously, and there's a lot of great information that happens from broadcasting. Right. And you have uh, satellite radio as well. A lot of amazing information comes from there. But then also AM, FM radio, the amount of information that still comes from there. You think about top of the hour news, right? Those local weather, local weather alerts, high school sports. Yes, um, you know what's I, going on with the news, funeral announcements on yeah. some of those stations. I, I mean, remember doing those it, funeral announcements. It, it, it's the fabric of a community. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, it is a backbone. It's a lifeline. Right. And, and and I think that's some of the importance. And as you know, it's some folks might point to it as being a, a generational thing where older generations are used to AM radio, younger generations, maybe not so much, but I, I still think that there is that appetite out there for good quality information in your local area. And that's, that helps point to the importance of AM radio. We, we've uh, done third party research. So it's, it's something we paid for, but they are going into being as objective as can be. And, and and some people will be surprised um, when they hear this. The younger a listener is, the more minutes of, of radio they're consuming a day. At least when it comes to, to farm radio, um, they're, uh, they're consuming more minutes per day than their dad or their grandpa. In all honesty, Jesse, my thought was going into this, okay, we're going to get a real gauge as to how loyal the next generation is. They're more more loyal. They're information junkies, and I don't mean that in a bad way because they want to know the latest, the greatest, and that connection. It goes back to the connection that they have with that radio station, and in the case of farm broadcasting, with someone like you, with their farm broadcaster, and with their local newsman, um, it, it, it's just it's just woven in. I, I even hesitate to call it a, a habit mm -hmm. um, because it's it's beyond a habit. Um, it, it's just ingrained as part of a person's lifestyle. And it's the differences, too, and I think where some of the misconceptions have come about is the, the rural versus urban divide. Maybe, you know, depending on the situation, AM radio in an urban environment is maybe not as popular as it is in rural America uh, because, to your point, it's, it's kind of ingrained in rural America, in our farmers and ranchers especially, but it just it feels like that's where some maybe the misconception comes from, right? It's just the urban-rural divide. Right, right. And the, the thing I love being able to talk about on this front is it doesn't matter your zip code. If, yes. If, if you need to be reached with, uh, with information, especially of tornado, hurricane, fire, flooding, um, national emergency, um, again, it doesn't matter the zip code you're listening from. You want to be able to be connected. We had an ice storm here a few years ago. Mm -hmm. The first thing I did was I kicked on that battery radio. Um, to, to see what the what the situation was was it just my neighborhood or was it all over town it was all over town it was all over the it was all over the area you know mm -hmm. um 
that that's 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 the source that you know you can trust. I didn't have internet. I didn't have television. You know, but I still have my I still have my good old radio. Power goes out. You don't have those things you know and your cell phone battery is only going to last as long as your phone is charged exactly at some point you have to get your information from somewhere yeah and that's am radio uh tom again you you mentioned some of the great uh, ways and things that folks can do to have their voice heard um and i know earlier this year nafb did a great campaign the why i listen campaign Mm -hmm. again just remind folks here as we as we talk about the fight to keep am radio in the dash what they need to do, what they should do to have their voice heard and speak up on this issue. We in rural America have great relationships, and so leverage that relationship. If you know your congressman, congresswoman, if you know your senator, if you know their staff, um, call them up and visit with them about how important this is to you. Um, we, you can go to whyilisten.com, whyilisten, spell the, spell the words out, .com, and there's a click of the link where you can send a message to your member of Congress Maybe you don't want to make that call. Maybe maybe that's just not your forte. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are still ways that you can reach out, um, but but we're into the relationship side of this now. We're, we're far enough down the line that writing the letter is not going to do any good. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say that. It's not going to be as effective. It's it's calling on those relationships now to say, hey, this is important to me, and I want to make sure you're on board with me too. And I know that this is, uh, and you mentioned this earlier, it's not just a farm broadcaster issue. I know NAFB has partnered with the NAB, the National mm-hmm. Association of Broadcasting, and others. This is a this is a radio. This is issue. This is not just a one segment of the AM radio industry. This is a this is an industry wide push to keep am radio in the dash exactly yeah it's yeah. it's uh it's 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 really important to everyone and definitely i i call it a community issue yeah speaking of community too we got about a minute here before we hit the break uh with the convention here folks who may be listening in and they hear uh farm broadcasters convention what's going on there but this really is a community isn't it it's, it is it's broadcasters from across the country getting together with industry folks and and much more and it's it's Kind of like a homecoming, right? Yeah, and that's our theme this year is homecoming. It's it, this is a family reunion. Um, there there are competitors and, and complementary folks, but the mm-hmm. thing is, we're all family and we get along. And um, we we have uh, over seven hundred people that were pre registered to come to this convention. Over one hundred and twenty farm broadcasters. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope people can understand what kind of energy is here. And then yeah, then that whole camaraderie. It's like coming. Home for homecoming football game. And we have trade talk going on today, which is essentially um, it's. I call it speed dating yeah. with uh, with companies that, are, that bring their experts here so farm broadcasters can have conversations with them and share their story and tell the story of agriculture to our farm and ranch listeners, right? Very effective way to, uh, to get your message out. If you're one of those ag organizations, associations, or companies that's here represented, um, there, there'll be over 2,000 interviews that are done in that ballroom today yeah. by farm broadcasters. Tom Brand with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Tell us a little more about the AM radio fight. And we really appreciate your time. Busy day. Enjoy the rest of it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Tom Brand there with the NAFB here on AOA. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Up next, we'll talk with Lance Zimmerman from Robobank. On the way, right after this here on AOA, Agriculture of America.
in Iraq. Our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And my electrical was deemed unsafe. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is the safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes. And Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed. And we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. I'm Shanola Hampton. Every day, millions of people face hunger. Today, I will share with you some of their experiences. I'm stuck between paying for medications or paying for food. John from Maine. After paying my bills, I can buy groceries. It's sad to say, food comes last. Alice from Oregon. I thought pantries were for less fortunate people but anybody could be less fortunate in a day or even a second. Claire from Virginia. The Feeding America network of food banks helps provide over six billion meals to people in need each year. No one should have to worry where their next meal will come from. Together, we can end hunger. Learn more at feedingamerica.org. Joining us today, Lars Deerud, CEO of Earth Optics. Lars, can you tell us a little bit more about Earth Optics? We're a soil mapping company with an emphasis on mapping. So we create a range of data products all the way from soil health, soil fertility to compaction. And one of our more popular products is detailed carbon mapping. Lars, how does Earth Optics data underpin the carbon credits that markets and stakeholders trust? We're doing a decent amount of the carbon quantification for carbon programs in North America. And so the data is used for a couple of different types of programs. You have what's called an offset program where somebody like Microsoft, somebody outside the food and egg industry is trying to offset their emissions. We're the ones that come in and we do the baseline. And then in following years, we remeasured. And then approximately that difference between the baseline and the remeasure is any accumulated carbon that's found is credited. On the other side, work directly with food and egg companies, but also with farmers making those same type of measurements, but using what's called an inset. That's somebody like General mills trying to reduce their overall carbon footprint within their whole supply shed. Learn more online at earthoptics.com. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. 
In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of the United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And we continue here from the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri today on AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Joining us now as we talk what's going on in the cattle market, Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Bank. Lance, it's good to see you, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Jesse. Good to see you face-to-face. Yeah, it's been a while since we've got to do this uh, not over a computer screen, so uh, <laughs> good to uh, have you here in person and uh, talk cattle. And let's dive into this. I know uh, we got a cattle on feed report coming up Friday. That's a big talking point. This most recent one, though, in October did a lot of damage to this cattle market, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, you know, even we had talked later this summer, I think we had talked about the idea that whether you were a cow-calf producer, feed yard, packing plant, beef buyer, the market was just on edge because we just had experienced a 12-month run, in some markets, a 12-plus market run higher. And everybody felt like prices are getting awfully expensive. It's hard to find a break even. There's not much breathing room in these markets. And so that break in October was brutal, right? It was We were blindsided by bigger year-over-year placements, even above the highest industry estimates going into that report. But the good news is, if there is good news in silver lining and finding a break of this magnitude, I think it's finally allowed our cattle feeding friends to buy some break-evens that are a little bit more competitive. It's going to allow the packing industry to do some risk management and take some length in live cattle for beef that they're for cattle that they're going to be buying for beef production over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. And so it's painful short-term, undoubtedly. There was the first break after the cattle and feed report. Then we had some softness in the boxes. Uh, box beef market broke again. Even though it hurts, I think it's short-term pain for long-term gain. We're thinking about this uh, cattle on feed report coming up Friday. Uh, a lot of chatter that we could see a high placements number again. Uh, I just wonder, are we worried about a similar type of scenario compared to last month's report where this cattle market broke hard on a bigger than expected placements number? Or do you think that this is already factored in? Well, one of the things I... You know, when you talk about market analysts, there's a group of us that were more fundamentalists, and there's those of us who are more technical in how we look at the market, you know, moving averages, Bollinger Bands, things like that. I try to do the best to blend both of those, but I default back to my fundamentalist roots, supply sure. and demand. When you look at the break we've been through, the demand implied by these prices 
is weaker demand than last year going into the spring highs. Yes, we should have a little bit softer demand because of all the consumer pressures that happening that are happening in the market right now. But overall, beef demand is still very, very strong. Even though we went through this aggressive cutout break since basically Halloween, we're finding support at the same levels on a wholesale beef cutout base around 295 or so, just like we have in the May lows, just like we did in the third quarter lows. We're doing it now today. So I say all that to say, yes, the market still is going to see stronger placements by my estimation coming out of this report tomorrow. But I think the worst news has been priced in. And so as we go forward, the technical damage that's happened to the market with these last two big breaks probably means that it's going to be really difficult to revisit our September highs on the April contract. Mm -hmm. But I think we'll establish an uptrend and we'll continue to work higher from here seasonally into those spring highs at a lower level, though, than perhaps what the futures market priced in before the big breaks. What should our cattle folks be thinking about right now? I know futures has really driven things the last year, I would say. I mean, risk management-wise, heading into another important cattle on feed report and just the topic of eventually we got to start rebuilding this herd. What should we be thinking about risk management-wise right now? I mean, should we be hedging? Should we be looking at different things like that? What What's on your mind to tell folks? You know, a couple of different things, and I'll kind of break it out by audience, our feedlot guys. The most painful thing about this break we went through is we were pretty light on our hedge coverage as an industry. You know, if you're a 100% hedge feed yard, you're fine. But a lot of guys have minimum compliance standards that they work within that we're always going to be at least 30% hedged or 50% or 70 Most guys were at those low levels going into that break because they'd been rewarded for that behavior all the way up until that time. Wait until the market was at a at its highs before you you hedge those cattle in. So that break hurt. We're still not going to be as hedged as we want to be on the sell side, but now's the time to do the work on the buy side. Cattle you haven't placed yet, take some length in the feeder paper, take advantage of some of the break that we've experienced to secure your buy side. And the great thing is we've seen cost of gains, you know, feed coming into feed yards today, your corn cost is probably 30% cheaper than what it was a year ago at this time. So leverage that. Take advantage of what the grain market's giving you. Now let's talk stocker cow-calf guy. We know risk management is always a challenge there because the futures markets don't always work as well for them. There's not as much volume in those deferred contracts. A lot of times a cow-calf producer, stocker producer doesn't have as enough, enough head to purchase a lot of contracts to make it easy getting in and out of the market. Look at LRP, USDA's Livestock Risk Protection Service. Um, that insurance product offers some great opportunity. They've increased the subsidy on that product, made it a lot more cost competitive. We have too many dollars per head exposure in this industry today. $1,500 a head calf prices. Maybe you don't do anything for this calf crop because it's already in the back back mirror, right? Looking, yeah. looking behind. Look ahead. You can start hedging those calf crops for next fall already now that the cows are exposed. And so we got to do some of that so that, to your point, if we look ahead to expansion, we have some cash in the coffers. We have some opportunities to do it. Mother Nature's been brutal again for another year for most of cow-calf country. But a winter, fall, well, I should say fall, winter, and spring El Nino should set us up for a better spring and summer from a pasture condition standpoint Hopefully, as we get to this point next year, I'm talking to you about we've retained some heifers. 
we're rebuilding the cow herd and we're looking towards some optimism as we go to 25 26 27 in regard to a herd rebuild yeah and that's uh that's the big key here is watching when this uh, herd is going to get rebuilt and uh, i know plenty of uh, conversations going to be had about that here over the next few months but uh, we're up against the clock lance good to okay. see you thank you for joining me and i know uh you and I will talk again real soon. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, Jesse. Lance Zimmerman there with Robobank joining us, talking about the cattle market here today on AOA Agriculture of America. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Coming up on the next AOA, we'll continue our coverage here from the NAFB convention. I know we'll talk with Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition, that and more coming up on the next AOA. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Joining us now, Lars Deerwood, CEO of Earth Optics. Lars, a new exciting announcement, a collaboration between Earth Optics and Trace Genomics. Can you share more details about the new partnership? We're super excited to be working at a closer level with Trace. We probably pull more soil from the United States than anyone else uh, in the country. And so given that, it's nice to really form tighter partnerships with certain laboratories so we can really understand and end process from field to data point. Well, how does this partnership between Earth Optics and Trace Genomics advance carbon? Carbon's a hard thing to measure, especially, I should say, changes in carbon. And really, people are looking to maybe increase the carbon content of soil around about a ton per year per acre. That ton per year per acre represents just a fractional change in the soil. So maybe going from 3% to about 3.1%. And so you're trying to make that measurement across thousands of acres of fields. The more accurate you can do that laboratory test, the more accurate we can do our job. So better data from the lab, much better map for us and more accurate. Thanks, Lars. Learn more online at earthoptics.com. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today.